Welcome, Journey. How are you doing today? Good. Good to see you. Hey, first, if this is your first time here, thanks for being here. And we hope you will fill out the connection card and head out to our guest tent after our time today. Uh, again, we'll give you those lovely t-shirts for your information. Secondly, it's great to be back. Not really, but I'm glad to be here. Um, my wife, Kara, and I were gone for two weeks, or two Sundays, not two weeks, two Sundays. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, some of you are like, hey, where'd you guys go? Where'd you go? Uh, we had an opportunity to go to Hawaii for uh, that time period, uh, which was fun. Yes, it was nice. Um, yeah, some of you in the military have talked about Hawaii and how you were stationed there and like, hey, we'd love to go back. We're like, why would you want to go back there? And then we went there and we're like, well, now we understand why, why you'd want to go back there. But uh, we had a great time. Thanks so much to Tim Cole who came a couple weeks ago to speak. And then last week, Gary Mitchell, worship pastor, led us and did a great job. So I appreciate that. Now, um, <clears throat> I'm going to share some pictures with you, okay? So this is personal right here. You're in our personal space. I've got a, three pictures I want to show you specifically because I got to do some things that I've never been able to do before, all right? And so, uh, so we took some pictures. Uh, this first picture here is, uh, is me. <laughs> I got to swim with the humpback whales, which is crazy. I learned quickly, you don't open your eyes in seawater, though. So uh, that's the first one. Uh, the second one here, I, I, first time I've ever surfed. <laughs> I caught a gnarly wave, and uh, this was my first time surfing. Just incredible. This, now this last one, before we go there, don't turn it yet. On the way back, they had a little problem with the airplane, and I got to do something probably just a few of you have ever been able to do before. I got to fly the plane home, <laughs> and uh, it was just an incredible time away, and it was incredible. Actually, here's a legit picture. This is not fake, so that's our, that's for real, yep, yep, all right. Not important stuff, but you guys will ask about it, so uh, let's talk about some important stuff now. Let, let me pray, and we'll get started today. Hey, God, thank you for this time this morning. Time to be here. Um, uh, thank you for allowing me to be in this place and this time, this moment up here to speak. And God, I pray that you would just use it to change all of our lives, to, to move us forward in the direction that you have for each one of us. Uh, God, I think of this church, the impact that you are allowing us to make here and beyond. And I pray that that never ends, never wanes. In Jesus' name, amen. Three weeks ago, we started this series called Game Plan, and the very first week I shared with you that on any given day, we make about 35,000 decisions. 35,000 decisions. Now, most of those decisions are small. They're regular. They're, they're mundane decisions. It's brush your teeth or not, take a shower or not, put on deodorant or not. I mean, these are the kind of decisions that we make every single day, but, but those aren't the ones, for the most part, that have the lasting impact in our lives. It's those big decisions we make. Those really big ones that we make that can change the trajectory of our life for forever. Those big decisions may be what college to go to, who to date, what job to take. Should you go into the trade field or go to college? If you go into the military, which, which branch should you be a part of? Uh, what car should you buy and drive? Where should you live? I mean, these are big decisions that we make in life. And again, those aren't decisions that we make every single day. We make decisions every day, but it's those big decisions that have the biggest impact. In the series called Game Plan, one of the things that we've been talking about is trying to figure out God's will for our life. I mean, what is God's will for our life? What is the direction that you and I need to go? What are the steps that we need to take to be able to go where God wants to take us? Now, for some of us in here, we're followers of Jesus, right? And we've kind of got this pattern in place. So here's what we do. We pray. And that's a good starting point, by the way. We pray. 
Hey, we pray like, hey, God, I got this big decision to make. What direction should I go in? What, what steps should I take? And then we wait. We're patient for about two hours. Because <laughs> that's all we got. We're like, God, you got to do something. I mean, I need to know by the end of the day what decision I should make. And so we pray to God and we ask God for direction. I'm like, God, give me a sign. And, and so our hope is that God will just kind of poof right in front of us while we're in the office or we're at home and just show up like, hey, here's the step you need to take. Or maybe we're like, hey, God, when I'm at lunch today, I'm going to pray that, that you make it clear to me. Give me a sign. So you're looking at that, that piece of, of cheese toast that you have, and you're just hoping that Jesus' face will show up on that cheese toast. So you can look, wait, this is it. This is my sign. I mean, it would be so much easier if God would just come up and like, hey, here's my will for your life. Hey, here's the answer. Here's what you should do. Here are the steps you should take. But that's not reality. And so when that's not reality, frustration begins to set in. And when frustration sets in, here's the way that we play this out. We invite God into the situation to help us with the decision. But when God doesn't answer in a timely fashion, which is usually two hours to the end of the day, we take matters into our own hands. And we say, hey, I'm going to make a decision now. And how many times have we made a decision that we look back on and like, man, I wish I hadn't have taken that step. I wish I hadn't made that move. I wish I hadn't gone in that direction. Because it goes back to what we talked about in that very first week. We said our decisions define our life. The decisions that we have made in our past define who we are right now. And those decisions that you and I are making today, guess what? They're going to define, they're going to define who we are in the future. They're going to define who we are because we have made those decisions over the course of our life. And many times it's because we've chosen to make poor decisions in our life. It leads us to this next piece to finding God's will in our life. And there's a big question that I believe that all of us need to answer. And it's really the big question we're going to ask today. Who are you listening to? Have you ever thought about that before? Who are you listening to? Because here's how I believe God works. I believe, now, now for us, we kind of say, hey, I'm going to pray about this. This decision is between me and God, right? That's it. It's between me and God. It's about the relationship that we have. God's got to answer this for me. Here's what I believe. I believe that's just a small piece to it. Because the reality is there are people that God puts in our lives that are there for us to listen to. And the question is, do we actually listen to what they have to say? When I, I think about who are we listening to, uh, and we talk about a game plan, coaches come to mind. I, I think about coaches. Now, it used to be back in the day when you talked about coaches, you talked about it just in the sports world, right? And, and now today, that's totally changed. I mean, if you're in the band, you, you've got a music coach, and you've got dance coaches, and, and you've got uh, coaches within, or life coaches. And some of you here, you're probably a life coach. And in the business world, now we have coaches in the business world. Here at The Journey, if you want to be a leader, you're going to be coached. We don't just say, hey, you want to lead something? Great, go make it happen. We have coaches, and those coaches a lot of times are the staff, but now we're getting to that next la layer of leadership development. We have coaches who are coaching the next level of coaches. The book that we use is called The Coaching Guidebook. Why? Because we believe in coaching. We know the power of coaching. We see it in every aspect of life. Now, what is the job of a coach? To coach us, Right? That, that means their job is to empower us. Their job is to encourage us. Their job is to support us. Their job is to tell us, you know, here's, here's what I see good in you. Here's what I see bad in you. Let's, let's work on that. That's the, the job of a coach. Their job is to urge us, to even push us to our limits. My, my dad played uh, high school football 
back in the 60s, and uh, when he's talking about his head coach, I can't repeat some of the words that he said about him, but um, if some of you played sports back in the day, you may remember this, uh, he said he was a horrible man uh, because of a lot of the language that he used, but, but more importantly, because he carried a broomstick with him out on the football field. And again, some of you parents don't get crazy. This was in the 60s, a long time ago. Um, but he said, you listen to the coach because if you didn't, you got the verbal barrage and then you got whacked with a broomstick. He's like, I didn't like the guy at all, but you learned real quickly what you were supposed to do. Now, the point of that isn't to carry a broomstick. The point is a coach urges us to move and pushes us many times beyond our limits to bring out the best in us. We have coaches in place to listen to them to grow. They, they see our weaknesses. They know our weaknesses. And you know what they do? They look at those, and they know our flaws. They know our tensions. They know our struggles, and they help us through them. But they also know our strengths. They, they know what we're good at. They know what we're strong at, and they take that, and they try to, to make us excel in those areas. That's what good coaches do. And a big piece of that is because they know who we are. And our role is then to listen to them. And we listen to those people who are wise, and we listen to those people with life experiences, and we listen to those people who have knowledge. The impact that it has on us is that we make better, big, wise, and I believe godly decisions in our life if we listen. So who are we listening to? This morning I want to look at an event that takes place in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 12. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. 1 Kings chapter 12. We're going to spend most of our time there this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We put it up here on the screen. You're going to be able to follow along on your Journey Church app if you have that and also the program. But let me kind of set this up for us this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. In 1 Kings chapter 12, before we get there, we have the, um, we have the nation of Israel, but it's really kind of split into two sections. There's the northern part, which is known as the kingdom of Israel, and the southern part, which is known as the kingdom of, of Judah. And uh, until King David comes around, it's really kind of fighting each other, the civil war. King David comes around. He's a, a warrior king. He brings the nation of Israel together. Um, they, they become a stable place. They become a, a strong place. King David's son comes into power, King Solomon, and he does the same thing. He keeps these, these groups together, still the nation of Israel. And he brings peace, he brings prosperity, he actually brings a lot of development to Israel. And so Israel is beginning to kind of expand beyond its, its borders there. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, takes over, and he's, he's not a good king. And he's actually not a good king at all. He takes over around 930 BCE, and right when he takes over, he's got a pretty big decision to make because something has happened there's tension there from King Solomon who was in power before him his dad there's some tension there between still the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and a big part of that is because the kingdom of Judah holds all the power right Jerusalem the capital is there that's where the money is the resources that's where the the, the leaders are and so the kingdom of Israel is kind of feeling like man we're kind of stuck Th things aren't happening the way they should for us and so we we need some help here and so in 1 Kings chapter 12, we begin to read what happens in this event in the life of the nation of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 12, starting with verse 1, it says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. 
Jeroboam and Rehoboam, right? I mean, could you think of two names to put together and make it harder for people to understand and read? But, um, <laughs> but Jeroboam was sort of the de facto leader of the kingdom of Israel. He had fled that area because when King Solomon was in place, Jeroboam was causing some, some tension, causing some stink. And so Jeroboam runs away. Rehoboam becomes king. Jeroboam shows up back because the people are like, hey, come back here. We, we need you now. And so Jeroboam goes to King Rehoboam, and, and here's what he says again. He says, your father put a heavy yoke on us. Here's what that means. <clears throat> the taxes were too high. That's what it boiled down to. The taxes were too high. For King Solomon to do all this work that he had done for the nation of Israel, all this development, all this construction, all this building that had taken place, you had to get the money from somewhere, <clears throat> and guess who has it? The people that you're leading. And so the taxes were high. And so Jeroboam comes in like, buddy, can you help us out? Because we, we can't afford to kind of live here. We can't afford to, to be here. I mean, it's getting more expensive us for, to, to stay here. So we need your help. And, and I think he gives them an ultimatum. <clears throat> he says, here's the deal. If you lower our taxes, we'll serve you. That's what he says. There's a but there, right? But if you don't, it's not going to be pretty for anybody. And so we have this sort of this ultimatum that's here. And here's how Rehoboam responds in verse 5. He says, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Rehoboam has this huge decision to make in his life. And, and he does something incredible. He's like, hey, give me some time to kind of think through this. As we look at the story today, here's lesson number one I think we can get from this. Don't rush into a decision. Don't rush into a decision. Learn to be patient. Two hours is not patient, okay? Learn to be patient. But that's how we respond. We, we pray. If you're a follower of Christ, maybe you pray about a big decision. And you're like, God, I need help. I need a decision. I need, I need you to show me what direction, what path to take. But I need it by the end of the day. God, you've got to make this happen quickly. You've got to make it happen quickly. How many times have you made decisions you regretted? I just stop for a moment. Think about that. If you were to look back at your life, how many times have you made big decisions in your life that you regretted? And maybe that brand new job offer came, right? And it was amazing. Great benefits, great pay, great hours. You get to travel to some of the places you want to travel to. You're like, this is incredible. This is amazing. It's going to be the best job ever. And you get into it. And three months in, a year in, two years in, you're like, oh, this is killing me. <laughs> Interesting. All right. We may have mice here. I don't know. Anyway, we'll keep moving. God's work and Holy Spirit's interrupting today. All right. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, you make this big decision, right? If anybody run, jumps out of there, you guys got to protect me. Got it? That's the job today. I know we got some people who can do that. All right, here we go. If it's a big rat, please save me. Um, anyway, uh, we have big decisions, right? Maybe it's a job offer. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe your marriage is like the 90-day fiancé thing. Like you met this person and two weeks later you got married. <laughs> You've ever experienced that before? Know people that have? You look back on it like, oh, we thought we loved each other. We thought we knew each other, but we really didn't. And so there's this marriage now that you have that's struggling, or maybe it's ended because you've jumped into decisions. See, sometimes we think we're making the right decision. We think, hey, God, I've kind of given you an opportunity, but I'm pretty smart. I can do this on my own. I can make a good decision. And so we, we make a decision. We think it's the right choice. We think it's the right move. But, but in the end, we look back, and it was just a feeling that we had. It was just an emotion that was there, and it wasn't led by God. 
Man, one of the first things that we can learn, we can learn from Rehoboam here in this story, is don't rush into a decision. Take your time. Be patient. That's going to mean probably more than a couple hours or a couple of days. It may be weeks or months. For some of us, it may be years. But don't rush into a decision. And Rehoboam, as we look at the story, makes a wise choice here. But look at verse 6. It says, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon, Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. So Rehoboam does two really great things here. First, he says, Hey, I'm going to take my time. And then the second thing he says is, hey, I'm going to go to the elders. And these are smart, wise people with life experiences. <clears throat> Excuse me. That actually worked for King Solomon, his dad. And so they were trusted advisors. And so he goes to them like, hey, here's the situation. What do you think? <clears throat> here's lesson number two. Surround yourself with a healthy management team. Now you're like, what are you talking about? Surround yourself with a healthy management team. Who are the wise people that you listen to? In companies, you have a board of directors many times, and their job is to keep an eye on the people that they've hired for those positions to run those companies. Their job is to be there for when those big decisions come, that the, the staff, the leaders come to them like, hey, we're, we're thinking about this move. What, what do you guys think? What, what, can, what do you see here? And so that's what a board of directors do. do. What's a management team? Um, the same thing. When, uh, when I planted a church 10 years ago down in North Carolina, I, I had a management team. My management team was made up of, of six guys. Uh, five of them were in full-time ministry, were pastors. Two of them, or excuse me, three of them had planted churches. Two of them had planted multiple churches. And so for me, th th this was a no-brainer. In fact, it was part of planting the church. I had to have this in place, but, which was great. Because now I had this management team that I could go to and like, hey, guys, I've got to, we've got to make some big decisions about this church. Like, what about this step or this direction? And to have those individuals come in and say, well, let me tell you what I've experienced in the past. Let me tell you what I've heard has happened over here making that same decision. Let me tell you about the things that, that I believe, you know, God's kind of moving us toward or called us to. It was invaluable. Because if it had been me just standing there by myself, like, hey, God, what do you think? Okay, I don't have a whole lot of time. i got to make this decision by the end of the weekend. Man, I would have run into things and caused huge issues. And so having that management team around me was so important and invaluable for me, but also for the life of that church. Who are the people that you have around you? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Maybe you need to build your own personal management team. That around you, you have individuals who are wise, who have life experience, who are knowledgeable, who know your strengths and weaknesses, and you've got that personal team. And so when there's a big decision in your life, you're not sitting there praying to God like, God, give me an answer today. But you, you're going to them, too, and you're saying, hey, I've been praying about this, but I need some help. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the situation. Here's what's going on. This is what this looks like. Here are the possibilities. Give me your input. You know me. You, you've been there in the past. What do you think? I think you'd be amazed at how God works through other people to help us understand what God's will is for our lives. And one of the best things we can do is not just be patient, but to surround ourselves with healthy, Christ-like people. Rehoboam does that. He's patient, it seems. He surrounds himself with healthy people, but he does exactly what many of us would do. Look at verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected... But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. 
Two words jump out to me here. Reject it. He was like, I don't like that advice. And elders. Again, these are people who have experiences that Rehoboam doesn't have. They're wives. They worked with his father. And he rejects what they say. But here's what we see in the rest of that sentence, the rest of that verse. And consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So he rejects the wise men, the elders, and he consults. He goes to his buddies, and he's like, hey, what do you guys think? And I, and I love this because it puts young men, right? It doesn't say more elders. It says young, which don't take this the wrong way. It means they're dumb. You know, they're not very smart. Let's just be honest. We've been there before. Some of us are there right now. Uh, it's okay. That's what the elders are for. They've got that knowledge. And when we're young, we think we know it all. We think we know the right path to take. But, but I think the writers point that out to be very specific about this is who he consulted in. Here's what happened. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. There's a fighty words there, aren't they? I, I read that, and one of the things that um, come to mind is in our culture today, um, we love figurative train wrecks. I'm not talking about literal ones. I'm talking about figurative ones where where we watch specifically celebrities who, who struggle. And uh, we look at them and we're like, man, you know, they got it all. How can they give that all away? You know, they, they become addicted, addicted to, to drugs and alcohol and you DWIs, DUIs, and they, they commit suicide. And we're like, well, how could they get to this point? And we are sadistic because we, we enjoy watching that play out in front of us. But here's what I would invite you to do. I would invite you to look at the circle of friends of those individuals. Because here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that they have gotten to that place because they have put their faith and their trust in people who, who aren't looking out for their best interests. And not only that, they're, they're not looking out for the interests of those around them. This is what Rehoboam is going through right here. He goes to the elders, and then he rejects what they say, and they give him some very wise insights. So what do they do, or what does he do? He goes to his high school buddies. He's like, guys, what do you think about this? Can you put your Xbox down for a moment? Can you put that slice of pizza down? And, man, I know you're still living in your mom's basement and you're 46 years old, but here, do me a favor. <laughs> Give me some advice. Here's this situation. What do you think? And they're like, hey, show them who's boss. Let them know that you are the king. Make it worse on them. And they turn around, grab their slice of pizza, and get back to Xbox and play in Fortnite, right? These are the people that he confided in, and these are the people that actually, in the end, he listens to. Verse 12, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I was scourged you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. Rehoboam says thanks, but no thanks. And in fact, here's the deal. I'm going to make your life worse. This is the wise, best decision that Rehoboam could come up with, right? But the impact 
began right there. This is a moment that changed the, the life and the history and the nation of Israel. As you can imagine, the, the, the kingdom of Israel, we talked about a little bit earlier. I know that's confusing a little bit. But the kingdom of Israel, the northern tribes, they were like, well, we're not going to do this. And so they actually rebelled. Civil war ensued. And because of the decision that Rehoboam made, for 200 plus years, those two kingdoms were separated. Why? Because it came down to who Rehoboam listened to. He got wise advice. He, he was patient. But in the end, it was who he listened to that caused the biggest issue in his life. And for over 200 years, the nation of Israel had to deal with that decision that he made here in 930 BCE. All because of who he didn't listen to. When we're making big decisions, that is a question that we have to ask. Who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? And in fact, if you don't hear anything else today, listen to this. Write this down. People we listen to are a preview of the future you. The people we listen to are a preview of the future you. The people that we seek advice from in our lives, do you know what? We're going to become those individuals. We're going to look just like them. Our lives are going to play out just like the people that we're getting that insight from. Let me give you an example this morning. Uh, marriage. Let me talk about marriage for a moment. Maybe your marriage is struggling, okay? Uh, we look around the world. We know marriages are struggling. I mean, even in this church, man, we've got marriages that, that are struggling. Um, if your marriage is struggling, who are you listening to? Let me talk to wives and husbands separately here. Wives, let me talk to you for a second. If your marriage is struggling, who are the people that you're going to? Because you're going to somebody. You're having a conversation with somebody. You're talking probably to your girlfriends, right? And you look at them, you're like, man, they know me. They know my weaknesses. They know my strengths. They know my past. Maybe we grew up together. Man, I trust them so much. Here's my question for you ladies. If you were to look at their marriage, do you want the same marriage that they have? Oh, that kind of changes things, doesn't it? Well, she's been married seven times. She knows, how to, she knows what a healthy marriage looks like. <laughs> There's experience there, but not good experience, right? And so the people that we listen to are a preview of the future us. And so, ladies, when you're talking to your girlfriends and you look at them like, do I want your marriage? My guess is 50, 60, 90% of the time you're going to say No. I don't want their marriage because I hear about their marriage and it's, it's not good and it's terrible. Dude, it's the same thing. Husbands, it's the exact same thing. Who are you listening to? Well, I'm not listening to anybody. I can figure it out myself. No, you can't. <laughs> We're dumb. Let's just be honest. We can't do it on our own. But more than likely, you are talking to somebody. It's probably your bro friends. It's your buddies. It's, it's the dudes that you hang out with. But I got the same question to you. When you look at their marriages, as you're saying, hey, man, this is really where we are. This is where we're struggling. If you look at their marriage, what do you see? Is it a marriage you're like, oh, man, their marriage is great. I know they struggle. I know they have a hard time. But, but somehow it just kind of, there, there's some healthiness there. There's, God's doing something. I, I want that kind of marriage. Or when you ask them that question, you look at their marriage, it's the same thing. It's like, man, they talk about how terrible their marriage is and how, how they struggle in their marriage. Why are you listening to them for marriage advice? They don't have a lot of wisdom there. And yet that's what we do. We struggle and we go to people that are close to us, right, which is normal. 
But so many times we go to those individuals and we say, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? And as we look at their life, it's, it's not really the life that we want because we're going to become who they are. I don't know how many times that uh, Kara and I specifically have sat down with couples or individuals within marriages and had that conversation like, you know, what's going on in your marriage? And they've shared with us. Um, and, and then as we've been talking through that, one of the questions I always ask is, hey, what kind of advice are you getting around you? And the advice so many times is, get out, leave. I'm like, what about their marriages? You know, what's going on in their marriage? Oh, they just got divorced, or they're struggling, or they're separating. Well, I'm like, you can't listen to that. I'm not saying there's not wisdom in that, but when they're telling you to get out quickly because of what they've sort of experienced and bringing that into this picture, you've got to find people around you that can give you this wisdom that you need and this experience that's healthy. Any ask, careers, whatever it may be. Who are the people that we are listening to? Because who we are listening to is a preview of who you and I will become. One of the reasons I love this church is the age diversity. Um, We're not a church full of baby boomers. We are not a church full of Gen Xers. Go team, right? Um, (laughs) We're not a church full of millennials. We're not a church full of Gen Zers. That's not who we are. You look around here. We have so much age diversity. It's one of the reasons I love this church. Now, we do kind of hit that 37, 36, 37, 38 age average here. But, but if you look around, and I'm not disparaging anybody this morning. So please don't get mad at me. There's a lot of gray hair, right? And when I see gray hair, here's what I think. Smart, wise people. Okay? Thank you. You people should give more money this week, all right? This is all for you. No, for real. Um, no, for, as I look around, I think there's a lot of wisdom here. And yet here's what we'll do. We'll go to the young men and the young women and try to find out answers. Hey, man, answers are sitting in this place. There are wise people here that you need to say, hey, you've been married like 60 years. That's a long time. Maybe you have some wisdom about marriage other than my friends who have been divorced two or three or four times, right? And maybe you should go to them like, hey, can we, can we spend some time with you? Can, can we hang out with you for a period of time? Can you kind of invest in us and give us some advice? I think you'd be amazed at what you'd hear. Or as you look around, you're like, hey, I heard you had a career with the military and you did this and you made these steps. Man, that's kind of the path I'm looking to take. Can you, can you kind of invest in me and help me through this time? Build your management team. There's some great, healthy people here. And here's the best part. They're Christ followers. They're Christ followers. They're living their life for Christ. And so not only are they giving you their life experience and their wisdom from their physical life, they're also giving you their spiritual life too. How are you building this team around you that can give you godly advice? Some of them are sitting right here right now. Or it's your parents who you thought were dumb, and now you look back, you're like, actually, you're pretty smart. It could be your neighbor down the street, and she's a follower of Christ. Maybe you just need to spend time with her. God can do amazing things through other people if we give them the opportunity to do that. And they'll invest in us. They'll, they'll coach us. They'll, they'll encourage us, and they'll push us because we need that within our lives. Look, we're going to make some really big decisions in life, and I don't know about you. I don't want to look back and regret them. I want to know that I did absolutely everything, absolutely everything to make the best decision. And one of the best ways we can do that is to be patient, but then to build that healthy management team, that healthy group of people around us who are following Christ that can lead us forward. But there's one more piece to this. 
And it actually doesn't come out of 1 Kings. It comes out of Matthew 17. There's this transfiguration that happens, and you've got Jesus, and he's taken Peter and James and John up onto this mountain. This incredible miracle happens. While they're there kind of hanging out, Jesus becomes bright. In fact, in verse 2 we read, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. They're experiencing something incredible in this moment. And then here's what we see in verse 5. It says, while he, and talking about Peter here, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. God tells Peter, James, and John, you want to be led? You want to go in the right direction? You want to move forward in the right ways? You want to make good, big decisions? Listen to Jesus. It's the same thing for you and I. Do, do we want to be led? Do we want to move in the right direction? Do we, want to, do we want to make the best big decisions we can in life? Listen to Jesus. It starts there. This is the last lesson. Lesson number three, Jesus is the head coach. I, I know I'm the lead pastor of this church. I'm not the head coach here. Uh, Jesus is the head coach. Uh, tomorrow I could be fired and I could be gone from here and somebody else will step in. Guess what? Jesus isn't going to change. Jesus is still there. I may be gone, but Jesus will still be there. Our leaders may be gone, but Jesus will still be there. We've got to make Jesus central to everything. Jesus has to be the focus of our lives. And, and so when we're making these big decisions in life, that's where it has to begin. That Jesus is central. That Jesus is our leader. That Jesus is coaching us. That we listen to Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, well, how do I do that? I pray, and I'm trying to get those answers. Here's what I would, I would push you to do. Go and read the book of John. Go back and read the book of John. It's just full of Jesus' teachings. Just go back and read the book of John in the New Testament and begin to just kind of soak that in and see where that leads you. Because in the end, I think you understand that Jesus is the head coach. And as the players, man, we need to listen to Jesus. That's got to be our beginning point. And then we can truly learn to be patient and wait on God to lead us. And God will lead us. When we focus on Jesus, God will lead us to those people we can place around us that will impact us and help us make those wise decisions in life you can't do this alone you can't do it alone we have to do this with others because God uses others to change and impact our life and in the end these are decisions that we are making that could last a lifetime and I don't want Rehoboam's decision to last with me for 200 plus years I want to make decisions that impact myself, my family, my church, the people around me in healthy ways because I've taken the right steps. Maybe for you today, your next step is baptism. Maybe for you, it's to say, hey, I need to make Jesus my head coach. And so we invite you to take that step. And on your connection card there, you can fill that out and you can mark, I want to be baptized. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Maybe that's your starting point today. Maybe, maybe for others of you, your, your next step is prayer. And I hope that if you've got big decisions in your life, man, you're praying. But today our prayer team, they're going to be back in the back. We moved them out of the corner over there. Um, we moved our coffee out there so we can have that space. And so maybe you just need prayer today. As you grab your emblems at communion time, go back there. Let them pray over you. Say, hey, here's this big decision I've got to make or we're making. Would you pray over us? Maybe it's prayer. And then maybe for others of us, again, it's just to be reminded that Jesus is our head coach. Jesus is our focus. Jesus should lead us in everything. And when we do that, we'll make wise, big, and better decisions. They're led by Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather my life be known by the decisions I make because I followed Christ than someone else. That God led us to that place because we did what we were supposed to do. 
I hope that as you make big decisions in life, you will let God lead you as you find people to help you along that path. Because when we do that, man, God will show us his will for our lives. Right now, we take communion at the journey as we do every single Sunday, and it is a reminder of God's love for us. The God said, hey, I, I loved you so much, I sent my son to this earth for you. And so right now, we celebrate that together. We celebrate that love, and we celebrate, for some of us, being reminded that Jesus is our head coach, that Jesus is our leader. And so this morning, as the band leads us, we're going to sing with them. I'm going to invite you to stand at this moment, and we're going to sing together. And as you feel led, you can come to the front or the back and grab the bread and the juice. Just take it back to your seats. Remain standing. We'll take it together. If you filled out a connection card, uh, if you got a prayer request, uh, you can drop that in the buckets here or the, the baskets. If you came prepared to give in that way, you can do that today too.